together. Acts chapter 2, remain seated if you don't mind. Look down at verse 41. We'll read and jump right in if we could. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the beautiful picture we see of this early church that you worked so mightily through. I pray that we would learn from this example tonight and desire to be a church very much similar to this one where you add to daily and we see a harvest of souls, even in this time of what appears to be a gospel gleaning right now. Lord, we do pray for our church that, Lord, we'd maintain who we are supposed to be and what we're supposed to do during this time. We pray for others that are fighting a more fierce battle, such as the folks at North Valley Baptist. Lord, give them great grace. Uh, give Brother Trever, Lord, wisdom as he guides through this. And I pray that even through this turmoil, you would be glorified and the cause of Christ would be amplified. Bless your word tonight and the message you sent. Help us receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have said probably over the past six months many, many times uh, that there's no doubt that Satan has sought to capitalize on all that we're going through right now. I mean, the devil's brilliant, and he can take something that seems to be a bad thing and turn it into a good thing for his glory if we will allow it. And this prolonged season of oppression that we've been going through has been something that I have found the devil has gotten a lot of mileage out of. Uh, I'll be honest, in my own life, the devil has used it really to bring things to the surface that are not normally there on the surface. And I think all of us have probably our skin has gotten a little bit thinner as we've gone through this difficult time together. I'll be honest with you, there have been times throughout this whole ordeal that I have gotten a little bit punch drunk. You understand what that means, all right? Don't you go home and tell somebody, I heard the preacher say that he got drunk, okay? I got a little punch drunk, and I have been punch drunk through this whole thing. Do you know what that term means? Where you keep getting punch after punch after punch, and after a while, you're just kind of uh, in a spiritual daze. Uh, It's kind of like boxing. You know, you watch the guy in the boxing ring. I'm not much on fighting sports, but I've seen a little bit of boxing, Uh, and he's in there in the ring, and the guy's beating him up and beat him up and after a while he just puts his hands up over his eyes and sits there and takes it he goes from being on the offense of fighting back to just putting his hands in front of his face while the guy pounds his ribs trying to knock him out after a while you do get just a little bit punch drunk Oftentimes what happens is you go from being on the offense to going on defense, and not long after you go on defense, you are slowly defeated. I'll be honest, I've seen a lot of Christians during the last six months, they've lost their fight, and they've gone into hunker-down mode, okay? They're getting the spiritual daylights beat out of them with all these punches that the devil's throwing at us, uh, and now they've gone from being on the offense to being on the defense, a quick boxing story that many of you know very well, better than I do. Um, I think Brother Battle is the one who shared this story with me one day. We were out visiting our shut-ins, and he shared with me about the uh, Sullivan-Kilrain fight that happened right around not too far from, the, from here through the woods. It was the last bare-knuckle championship, as best I can tell, in the United States. Uh, the, the fight was between John Sullivan and Jake Kilrain, and it went 75 rounds, all right? Unless the Internet's lying, that's what it said, okay? And I 
figure, because it's on the internet, it must be true, right? 75 rounds is what they say happened right up the road here, and they went for over two hours in this boxing match. In this match, they used the London prize ring rules, which meant as soon as someone was knocked down, that was one round, and you took 30 seconds off, and you went right back at it. And so for 75 rounds, they kept knocking each other down. They'd get back up and go right back into the fight. And the only way the fight would be over is if you knocked the guy down and he stayed down. And we know the story, if you, if you know about it, July 8, 1889, it was called Boxing's Longest Day. Sullivan was victorious. To celebrate, I went to Sully's restaurant yesterday. I think it was just a good enough reason to go eat there anyway, because I was studying up on it just a little bit. He was victorious. Why? Because he stayed on his feet longer than the other guy. Think about it. The rules were the last man literally that's standing, and they just sat there. I mean, I don't know how you don't get in the flesh like that. Somebody punches me in the face. I mean, I can be walking through the woods deer hunting, push a limb out of the way, and it comes back and slaps you in the face, and I'm wanting to hit the limb. I hate getting hit upside the head. My wife, she's getting better about it, but uh, even when she hits me sometimes, it just riles me up just a little bit. I can't imagine 75 rounds, 75 rounds in the longest day in boxing history, but Sullivan won. Why? He was able to take the hits and stay on his feet. Now, can I tell you something tonight? I'm going to share this personally with you. I believe we're in a spiritual Sullivan kill rain bout right now. Uh, I mean, we're going 75 rounds with the devil. I mean, April rolls around, and we have the virus, and then we have the tornadoes, and then the hurricanes, and oh, now the love bugs I told you about Sunday are here, and it's just one thing after another. Boom, 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 boom. And can I tell you who's going to win this fight? The powers of darkness are fighting, and buddy, they are laying some haymakers. They are landing some punches. I'm watching people of God all over this country, listen, even in my own life, get a little bit wobbly, a little bit shaky. Why? It's one punch after another. But we as the people of God have got to stay on our feet. And not only must we stay on our feet, we can't go into defense mode. The people of God, we've got to be on offense right now. The devil cannot be the only one throwing punches. So we as the people of God have not only, listen, got to survive this time, we've got to thrive during this time. Listen, this is not a time for us to put our hands over our head and just sit there and curl up in the corner and cry. No, we as the people of God, we've got to be fighting during this time as well. You're saying, how on earth do you expect us to do that? Well, it's not me that expects us to do that. It's God that expects us to do that. Can I tell you something tonight? Listen, we're not just called to survive this time. It's the will of our Father that we thrive during this time of adversity. And the wonderful truth is that God gave us an example in his word of a church who went through a oppressive time of adversity, and they didn't just curl up and die. As a matter of fact, as we're going to read here in just a moment, they thrive through it. I believe tonight that God desires that we, listen close, this is the message tonight, that we advance in adversity, okay? That we advance in adversity. No matter how many punches the devil lands on us, and I'm going to tell you, he is putting up a fight like I have never seen. You say, yeah, I'm watching the news. I'm not talking about on the news. Listen, I talk to Christians every day all over this country. I'm talking about good folks. I'm not talking about folks, listen, uh, who are out there living like the devil. I'm talking about good people. And they're in the firefight of their life right now. The devil's landing punch after punch after punch. And the only ones that are going to survive, listen, are the ones that can stay on their spiritual feet. But God just doesn't want us to survive. 
God wants us to thrive through this and to advance in this time of adversity. And I know some of you tonight, you're thinking, are you kidding? Are you kidding? I just want to make it out of this time alive. I mean, for some of us, the greatest accomplishment of our day was the fact that we didn't stay in our pajamas all day. You're thinking, are you kidding? You want me to get out there and live for God and put up a spiritual fight? And I don't even feel like dragging myself out of bed. No, it's not me. It's God. And the longer we wait to start throwing some spiritual punches, the more the devil's going to win. So we must find a way to advance the fight. We've got to find a way to not just stand here and take these hits, but we've got to start landing some spiritual punctures as well. And so the next few Wednesday nights, the Lord put this on my heart, the next few Wednesday nights, we're going to preach a few messages on advancing in adversity. We're going to look at how the people of God, how we can advance the will and the work of God in spite of the adversity that we're going through. And tonight, I want to show you how the church can advance in adversity. Now, I want you to look down right quickly uh, to this passage of Scripture, and context is key. A few nights ago, I think it was on a Sunday night, we were talking about when it's okay to obey, and I was telling you the context of Romans 13. Romans 13, where the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, writes to be subject to the higher powers, was during the reign of the Emperor Nero, who hated the church. Now, I honestly believe Gavin Newsom, governor of California, I believe he hates the church, all right? I believe he's a lost man that just needs what you and I got, and that's just to get saved, amen? I just think that's the answer to all of it. But Gavin Newsom's nothing compared to Nero. Nero was torturing Christians. As a matter of fact, you go read the story of Nero and him and his mom. They were, a, they were a couple. I mean, there was murder and there was deceit. This was a wicked, wicked man. As a matter of fact, why Rome was burning, uh, he blamed the Christians for it and persecuted them. Just found a reason to persecute them before he went and committed suicide. Now, this is who is emperor during these times the Apostle Paul is writing. You read all throughout the letters to the churches, and you read how bold they were. It was in light of who Nero was. But here's what I want you to notice. Look down to verse 4, chapter 2, verse number 4. The Bible says, and they, speaking of this church, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, wait a minute. You would think during the time of great persecution and adversity that this would be the most wimpy, puny church. No, the Bible says this church was filled with the Holy Ghost. Keep on reading. Look at verse, uh, look down to verse number 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So here's this church, this early church, going through a great time of persecution and adversity. And the Bible says they had 3,000 people come to Christ. Look down to verse 47, and we'll jump in the message. The Bible says they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Not only, I mean, look, I would be excited. I would probably think, you know what? Lord, just take me on home after we had a day where 3,000 people got saved. I want to go out on that one. You know, I like to go out on a high note, and I probably want to go out on that one. But not only did 3,000 people get saved, the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What happened? This early church found a way to advance in adversity. And I think there's three keys tonight. Believe it or not, there's only three that I want to share with you that I think we need to learn from. So let's look together. I'm going to give you three quick things tonight that we must do in order to advance the church in this time of adversity. The Bible says in verse number 44, and all that believed, watch this, were together. 
and had all things common. Verse 46, the Bible says they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and what? Singleness of heart. Now watch those terms right quickly. The Bible says they were together. They had all things common. They were one accord and they had singleness of heart. Tonight, the first key to advancing in adversity, the first way that our church is going to advance together the cause of Christ, the will of God, the work of God in the midst of adversity, number one, I want you to notice the unity. Notice the unity. The Bible says they were together. They had all things common. They were one accord, and they had singleness of heart. Do not overlook the obvious tonight. Listen, if we as the church are going to work together, we've got to learn how to stick together first. All right? Listen, we are the body of Christ. And boy, my body works best when all the pieces are together. I've never cut off a finger. There's a few of you in here, I've noticed you got a little stub or a nub because I don't know, you're playing with a knife uh, against your mother's wishes or something like that. Uh, but our bodies work better when everything comes together, right? When all the body, the Bible says, fitly joined together, we are able to fulfill the function for which God left us here. Now, folks, listen, in order for us to function in the will of God, we've got to have unity around the Word of God, all right? If the church does not have unity, I hate to to tell you we're not going to get much done and the reason this early church did so much for the cause of Christ even in a time of great adversity we haven't seen it yet as horrific as what they're going through out there in California is that's nothing compared to what this church was going through they were having people beheaded and crucified upside down for the cause of Christ and yet they grew they saw 3,000 saved and people added daily why there was unity there was unity. If we're going to work together, we've got to learn to stick together a little bit, okay? You're not going to get very far in the work if you can't hold everything together. I'll give you a great example. Several years ago, and I mean several years ago, I think I was in my early 20s, half a lifetime ago, uh, we were going down Lake Mike Connor Road in Covington County. We were on our way to uh, pour a house slab that we were getting ready to build. And uh, we're going down right across the Bowie River Bridge. Some of you know where that's at out there. And uh, right as we get to the Bowie River Bridge, we hear this awful racket. We couldn't figure out what it was. It's just it's horrible noise. It's like a cat, you know, on a chalkboard or something. It was horrible. Couldn't figure out what it was. We're looking around trying to figure out what's wrong. And uh, next thing we know, we looked over here in the oncoming lane, and our tailgate passes us up. Somebody, you know, smart. I look at the church, unhooked the thing, I guess. And our tailgate just passed us up. Now, here we are on our way to the work, but we couldn't get to where we were going to go because our truck was falling apart. It was literally, I'm not going to tell you what kind of truck it was because some of you would capitalize on that. I don't want to quench the spirit. It was just a truck, okay? And we couldn't get to where we were going, the work that we were seeking to do, because our truck was literally falling apart. I mean, it's bad when your tailgate passes you up. I mean, I guess our tailgate was more excited about getting to work than we were. It's a bigger hurry. It just passes us up. To this day, if you go to the camp, the blue pickup truck that's out there in the field, go look at the tailgate. I'm not joking. Go look at the tailgate. It, it's got road rash, something fierce on it from that day. Now watch. We had to stop our journey on our way to work to put the truck back together. And look, if pieces keep falling, by the way, that was the only time it ever fell off, but as long as pieces are falling off and you have to stop to put them back on, you're never going to get to the work. And how often is the church that way? How often we get excited about the work, I want to be a part of the work, we're on our way to the work to do what God's called us to do, we're all excited about being engaged, and here comes the devil, and he sows division and discord, and we got pieces falling off everywhere. 
We're like a Frankenstein reject. We got arms falling off and legs falling off and ears falling off. Listen, if we can't stay together, how on earth do we think we're going to work together? This early church was used of God. They advanced in the midst of adversity, saw people saved. They were spirit-filled. People were saved every day, the Bible says. How? We see that God took the time to mention four terms that shows unity. I think Christ was speaking of this when he said in Mark chapter 3, if a house be divided against itself, that house, listen closely, cannot stand. All right? It cannot stand. Forget functioning. All right? If the house can't stay together, forget the function of the house. Now, folks, listen. If we allow God during this time of adversity, or we allow the devil, I'm sorry, during this time of adversity to sow division in our heart. Remember the crowbar last week? If we let the devil find a place to put that crowbar in, he's going to divide the body, and thus the work will cease. That's what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah says, listen, I can't be separated from the work. It's if I come down, the work's going to stop. That's why as a church, we must prize and covet unity as the body of Christ. Remember it this way. There can be no function without fusion. Okay? Remember that. There can be no function without fusion. If we don't come together as a body of Christ, if we don't get glued together, fitly joined together, where every part maketh increase, we can forget Central Baptist Church even surviving this time of adversity. Listen, God didn't just call us to get by. All right? God knew what we were going to face in 2020. I don't like it any more than you do. I really don't. I am ready for normal. I want you to know that's hard for me to say. I used to like to live on the edge, spontaneous. I mean, I was that kid in my family. My brother and my sister were not adventurous. I hope they're not watching tonight. No, they probably are. They were not terribly adventurous. They weren't into sushi, you know. Uh, that was kind of me. I was the weird kid. Uh, I, listen, I like spontaneity. I like living on the edge, trying new things. But man, I found myself saying the other day, I just want a normal Sunday. That's it. Just a normal Sunday. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Just a normal Sunday. Everybody in the building, one time. I mean, I'm just praying God gives us one before the trump of God sounds. I would just like to know what it was like. March 15th was our last one. Been a long time. How do we, listen, how do we grow through this time? How do we go through this time? I tell you, the very first thing we've got to be mindful of is what this church had, and they had unity. It can't function without fusion. We've got to come together, and we've got to stick together. Give you a good example. I asked Brother Nate, could I pick on him a little bit tonight? And he said that I could. He was telling me a story about something he was going to do for his father-in-law, correct? Uh, man, that's just great. Somebody wanting to do something for their father-in-law. You know somebody's godly when they're wanting to do something for their father-in-law. And yes, I do things for my father-in-law all the time. We're, we're buddies. We're buddies. Me and my father-in-law are. And uh, he texted me yesterday and said that uh, I think I lost my man card. I said, how's that? He says, because our power's been off because of the hurricanes, Monroe. I mean, it just messed Monroe up. He said, the first thing I asked my wife was, I wonder how many Hallmark Channel movies we missed. I said, oh, my goodness. I don't know about that one. Uh, but uh, I hope he's not watching tonight either. My goodness, I am striking out all across. No Christmas presents for me tonight. Uh, but Brother Nate was wanting to build his father-in-law a model of the USS Arizona, correct? And it's one of those in the box. You look at the picture on the box. They're beautiful. You're thinking, what a gift. I mean, what a gift to put together. He's a Navy man, right? Put together this USS Arizona. I want to give that to him as a gift. And he said this. Uh, he said it this week we were talking about it. He says he opened the box, and he saw all those pieces. And he thought, you know, I'll get around to that later. 
And uh, he brought the kit with him when he moved. It's still there. If any of you are interested in putting together a model that he could give to his father-in-law, I'm sure he would love to have your help. But the box said this, some assembly required. Some assembly required. Now, if you want the outcome, all right, what was the outcome? He wants that USS Arizona. If you want the outcome, it's going to require some assembly, all right? Now, stick with me now. If we want the outcome of a church, all right, if we want to see what this church could do in spite of the adversity, all right, the adversity, listen, doesn't catch God off guard. He still called us to do what he's calling us to do. But if we want the church to have the outcome of what we could, there's going to have to be some assembly required. That's unity. All the pieces have to come together. By the way, you know the definition of a church? It's a called out assembly. There's no church without an assembly. The church has got to come together. And listen, that's not just physically. All the parts and the functions have got to find their place. That's what our theme's about this year, by the way. Ephesians chapter 4. That every part would make increase. Every one of us, listen, that has been led of God to Central Baptist Church to be a member of this local body of believers. Listen, if God has led you to this place, he's led you to this place for a purpose. And all the pieces have to come together. And when the pieces come together in unity, that's when things are able to function. That's why, listen, when you miss, we miss. When you miss, we miss. Why? Because we've got to have all of our pieces. You know, my fingers here really depend upon my forearm to be in its place. If my forearm's not in its place, my fingers can't do their job. They're dependent on that to connect me to there. That's why we've got to have unity as the body of Christ. Matthew chapter number 16, the Bible, Jesus says this. He says, let's turn there together. I want, to, I want you to see this because there's a particular word I want you to look at. Look at Matthew 16, 18. He's speaking to Peter and he's talking about the church, all right? Matthew 16, verse number 18. Red letters, Jesus says this. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now watch this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does that mean? That means no matter what they throw at us, the powers of darkness are no match for the church that Christ built. Aren't you glad? Now listen, they're going to put up a fight, and they're going to push back. But we as the people of God have a promise that the gates of hell cannot prevail. That means they cannot beat us. They might beat us in court, but they can't beat us. Now here's what I want you to see. Why is so much of the church today seemingly being destroyed? I mean, churches that used to be lighthouses and cornerstones and the work of God, and yet they have slowly just, they're disappearing. Why are we seeing those churches go by the wayside? Understand this, in order for Satan to destroy, he must first divide. Before he can destroy us, he must first divide us. That's why Christ said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. All right? The way he destroys the church is one piece at a time. Each and every one of us are a part of this local body of believers. And the devil starts picking us off one at a time because he's no match. He can't prevail against the church. And so he starts coming to the pieces one at a time and breaks us down little by little by little. You know, you can get gangrene in your finger or your toe and it can spread all over your body and kill functions and even kill the body. Why? Because of something that happened in your finger. 
See, that's how the devil works. That's why, listen, that's why holiness is important. Righteousness is important. Listen, you're important to this church. You say, well, it's my life and I'll accept the consequences. No, if you're part of this body of believers, what happens in your life affects this life. And the devil, listen, the way that he's going to overwhelm the church is he's going to divide us one at a time. And that's how he'll ultimately defeat us. This is something our kids know well, and I know that because, believe it or not, I was a kid. A lot of our kids here tonight are surprised to know that, but I was a kid at one time. And I remember when I would want to go somewhere, I knew who I would go and ask. I would go ask my mom. Because oftentimes, my dad would say no. So I would go to mom who's a little bit softer on us. I think we know how that works. Everybody knew which parent to go to. I knew there were some things. I was, listen, it was, you know, my daughter, you know who she comes to? Me. It's me. She knows I'm the softy. Dad, do you mind if I sleep in your bed tonight? I look over and mom's sitting there shaking her head. You know why she came to me? Because she knew that if she had a better chance of getting what she wanted if she went through me. All right? Our kids know that. that listen, mom and dad, you got to stay strong. All right? But as long as mom and dad are united, as long as you're united, you're going to be okay. If you're not careful, our kids will wiggle their way in between us. And next thing you know, you have fallen for the trap all over again. Can I tell you something, Mom and Dad? Listen to me tonight. The devil is powerless against a united home. He's powerless. Mom and Dad, if you'll be united on what God's called you to do and who God's called you to be, the devil's powerless. He can't prevail as long as there's unity. He's got to pick one off first. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. How was he able to prevail? He picked off one. James 4, the Bible says in verse number 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. We sing it with our kids all the time. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now let's think about that verse together tonight. Submit yourselves. What is that? Submission is commission. You're committing, all right? Commit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you know why he's fleeing? All right? Because you're the weakest link in the relationship. It's not God. He knows better to come to God. He, listen, he tried that in the wilderness, and he couldn't get over on Christ. He says, okay, where do I find the weak link in the relationship with God and man? He doesn't have to think about it long. It's you and I. So he comes to us. Why? Because he's trying to divide the relationship, all right? The devil's desire is to separate you from God. That's his desire. That's what sin does. Sin always separates you from God. So the devil comes to us, and he says, hey, this way. And you're like, no, watch this. You're showing commitment. You're showing unity. The Bible says he will flee from you. Why? Because he knows, look, if he can't come between you and God, then there's no use in even trying. You see, he can't prevail as long as there's unity. He can't prevail in your home as long as there's unity. He can't prevail in this church as long as there's unity. By the way, you see what's happening in, our, in America tonight? All of this, all of this division all of this division. I mean, we've got every cause in the world right now. Uh, I mean, everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody is dividing. Why? Because that's the only way to bring this country down. We're the world powerhouse. You can't bring down this country. Listen, if you hit us head on, but slowly through immorality, slowly through ungodliness and sin, we divide and then we fall. I assure you tonight, the devil can't defeat us if he can't divide us. And I'm talking to our church tonight. It's Wednesday night, Central Baptist Church. Listen, God wants us to advance in adversity, but there's got to be unity. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1 says. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Notice these words. 
the same thing, no divisions, joined together, same mind, same judgment. What's Paul saying? Paul is showing us that division will destroy. He says there can't be division among you. You've got to have unity no matter what. At all costs, keep the unity of the body of Christ. Why? As long as there's unity, he can't prevail. But if we allow him to use us and our sins and our fleshly lusts and our desires to be that spot that the crowbar gets in, and he will, he will divide us, and then he'll destroy us. I encourage you, for the sake of time, we won't tonight, go back and read our theme, Ephesians 4, 16, and you see that church that's engaged because every piece, every piece is fitly joined together. So number one, notice the unity. Now look at verse 44. <coughs> verse 44. The Bible says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. And, all, and the Bible says, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, this is interesting. The Bible says they had all things common, and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need of. Now, here's what's happening. They're giving of themselves. They're giving of themselves. You say, I knew it was going to come around to offerings. We're not talking about offerings, all right? They were giving of themselves. You say, well, how do you know? Look what verse 45 uses. There's a personal pronoun. And sold there. They're not like the government. You know, the government just loves giving away other people's money. I would love to do that. If you got some money that you want given away, I'd be glad to give it away for you. I mean, that's so much fun. I mean, it's, it's kind of more fun than giving away your own money. I mean, that's why the government loves doing it so much. They weren't giving away other people's possessions. The Bible says they sold their possessions and goods. The second key to advancing adversity, number one is unity. you got to have unity. The second thing I want you to notice is sacrifice. They were sacrificing. I want to give you a principle that I think maybe you ought to write down on the tables of your heart tonight. There can be no unity without some measure of sacrifice. All right? Listen, this goes for your home. This goes for this church. This goes for this country. Understand this. There can be no unity without some measure of sacrifice. Somebody has got to be willing to give something of themselves in order to keep the unity of what God is desiring to do. Let me read you part of a letter from World War II. A young soldier by the name of David Webster wrote this to his mother. He was part of the 101st Airborne, and he wrote this. Stop worrying about me. That's hard for moms to do, isn't it? I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But no wor don't worry about this because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. What a young man understood that in order, listen, to keep unity and to keep something precious. By the way, unity in a church is precious. It should be precious. How are we going to preserve the unity of what God is doing and desires to do at Central Baptist Church in spite of all the adversity we're going through? Because I'm going to tell you, my skin's gotten a little bit thin in the last six months. I'm being honest with you. Usually, me and Brother Nate have been talking about, I've invented this term, my box of grace is usually very large. I try to be a very gracious person, am I? Yeah. I don't get mad, I don't holler, I don't scream, I don't roll people's yards, I don't egg people's windows. I mean, I, really, I did honk at somebody yesterday. That just shows you something's not right in my life. I honked at somebody. If it was you, I apologize. i got to get the church sticker off the back windshield of our car if I'm going to keep doing that. All right, Miley, after church, go get that off of there. Man, it's just brought a lot of things to the surface. Man, I've just had a, an angry temper. There's times I've got in the flesh. There's times I just, my box of grace has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. But can I tell you something? It'd be worth to give of myself 
to maintain the unity of what God is doing in this church. i got to be willing to sacrifice that. I can't afford to get in the flesh. I told my wife this the other day. I wanted to be mad at my wife about something. All right? Now, I stand up here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, and I confess to you my faults. I'd appreciate some of you men from time to time come up to me and tell me, you argue with your wife too. All right? Oh, I wanted to be mad at my wife about something the other day. I forget what it was. It was probably something petty, to be honest with you. Because that's usually one of the things I get mad about. Petty things. The people you love the most. Sometimes it's just sad that you can be the meanest too. And I wanted to be mad, and the Holy Spirit reminded me, it's not worth it, buddy. Listen, right now we're in a time where you cannot afford to give the devil one inch. Last week, neither give place to the devil. We can't give that to him. Why? Because what God is desiring to do at this place through the unity of this church is going to be good. But it means we're going to have to sacrifice self. I've enjoyed lately all the um, pre-marriage counseling we've been doing. I mean, Cupid's flying around this place. I mean, uh, you folks that are not married, just hang on. Your number's going to come. Amen, Brother Bo? Brother Bo's amen in me all the way. <laughs> Fine young bachelor right up here on the front. I'll introduce you to him after church if you'd like to get to know him. We just had the Fuller's reception this past weekend. Got another wedding upcoming this weekend. And Brother Jonathan and Miss Julia getting married. I asked permission to say that. He said I could. And uh, doing a lot of pre-marriage counseling. And I enjoy doing that. I'm thankful they're willing to come. You know what a marriage is? You know what a marriage is? It's a union. It's a union. Matter of fact, the Bible spells out exactly what it is, Matthew 19, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That means to defy, to divide. That's a union, all right? A marriage is a union. Now, do you know what makes the union? It's not just speaking the words. What makes a wonderful union in a marriage is when both are willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Well, how do you know? Listen close. I'm just going to go Bible tonight, amen? My opinion is not worth anything. I found that, so I'm just going to give you Scripture. Ephesians 5.22, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. That means wives are giving or submitting to their husbands. What is that? That's sacrifice. Why? For the sake of the union. You want to have unity, and so you're willing to sacrifice. Husbands, listen, you're not getting off that easy. We keep reading verse 25. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What did Christ do for the church? He sacrificed. Why? Oh, I love this. Because he was trying to unite man and God again. He was willing to sacrifice. You know, that's what that cross was. Man couldn't reach God. He's a holy God. We were sinful man. So Christ came down and put upon flesh, and he grabs hold of man, and he grabs hold of God, and he brings them back together. How did he do it? Through sacrifice. That unity came through sacrifice. Now, folks, the same way in a marriage. If you want to keep unity in your marriage, you got to be willing to sacrifice every once in a while. Why? I'm going to give you the news of the century. Men and women are different. Good night. They think different. I don't know why she doesn't think like me. Well, I really do because God didn't make her a man. Amen. I'm glad she thinks different. I'm glad she looks different. So watch close. All of a sudden, you're taking one person from one background that thinks one way, and another person from another background who thinks another way, and all of a sudden, you're bringing them together as a union. We're going to do that this Saturday, Lord willing, if one of them don't get cold feet. We're going to bring two lives together. How do you bring two lives together in unity without one killing the other one? Sometimes that happens, but how do we keep from that from happening? Don't let that happen, okay? I got a good record. Nobody ever married has killed the other one, so let's just try to keep it right, all right? It's a bad look for me. How do you keep the unity? What did I tell you guys? Sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice. 
I hear people say all the time, marriage is give and take. Can I give you some advice that'll help you in your marriage? You give and then be willing to let her take. Husbands. So well, I'm going to give, but I'm also going to take. Hey, why don't you just adopt the policy? I'm going to be willing to give and I'll let her take when she needs to because there's times you're going to try to take when you need to as well. It's sacrifice. Wives submit to the husbands. Husbands give himself to the wife as Christ did for his church. What are you doing? You're sacrificing for the sake of unity. The Bible says this church, look what they did in verse 44. Or verse 45. The Bible says they sold their possessions. They gave of what was theirs. You know what brings division? When you start seeking mine. This is what I want. I want mine. The Bible says, they said, you know what? Here is their possessions. They gave of their goods. Notice what it says. They parted them to all men. The reason this church advanced in the midst of adversity is because they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice. You're going to find the word reconcile in Scripture. In the New Testament, mentioned three times. The word reconcile means to bring in harmony or unison or unity. Here's what's interesting. Out of the three times the word reconcile is mentioned in the New Testament, twice the verse includes the word cross. Christ came to reconcile man and God. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Sin divided us. Sin separated us from God. Man was not in a right standing, a right relationship with God, and there was nothing that we could do. We couldn't be good enough, go to church enough, or give enough to be reconciled with God. But all of a sudden, here comes Christ and gives himself a sacrifice on the cross to bring man and God back together. Somebody was willing to sacrifice. And now I have a relationship with an almighty God. Now, folks, can I tell you, as this church seeks to move forward in the midst of this adversity, we're going to have to be willing to sacrifice self in order for us to see what God desires to do. For the sake of time tonight, I'll hurry. But you know, the work of the church began with sacrifice, and it continues with sacrifice. What does Luke 9 say? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The work of the church began with the sacrifice of Christ, and the work continues with sacrifice, and the work ceases when we quit sacrificing. We leave our cross at home when we go to work. We leave our cross at, uh, at our house when we go to school. We decide, you know what? I'm not going to be a, a sacrificial give, uh, giving Christian of myself. And therefore, the work ceases. So number two, notice the sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You keep reading, the Bible says, he took upon the form of a servant. You know what he had to sacrifice to bring unity to us? He sacrificed heaven. He sacrificed being the presence of his father. They put on this flesh to come down here and be reviled and ridiculed and, and, and scourged and nailed to a cross. What was he doing? He was sacrificing to unite man and God again. And I assure you, the great work of the church will continue, but God's people must do what they were doing in verse 45. We've got to be willing to sacrifice self. And then finally, look at verse 42 again. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Look at verse 46. The Bible says they continued with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and with singleness of heart. Now, this is interesting. Notice what they're doing. 
The Bible says they continued in doctrine and prayer. And we see in verse 46, they're in one accord in the temple. Do you know what they're doing? They're keeping the main things the main things. All right? They're continuing in doctrine, they're continuing in prayer, and they're continuing in the temple. They're keeping the main things the main things. Now watch close. Where does unity come from? Sacrifice. There's no unity without sacrifice. How do you get people to sacrifice, to give of themselves and their desires and their wants for the greater good? Well, it goes to the third thing tonight. The way that we advance in adversity is by our focus. It's by our focus. Can you tell what they're focused on? They're focused on the work of the church. They're continuing in doctrine. They're praying, and they're continuing in one accord in the temple. You see, tonight, their sacrifice reflected their focus. And I believe that, boy, I've said it back in my office. You ever have one of those moments to where you're, you're working on something, maybe you're doing a Bible study at your house, maybe you're not a teacher or preacher, but you're studying your Bible and you're writing out notes, the things that God has spoke to your heart, and you write out something, and then you realize what you wrote, and you're thinking, ooh, that was for me. This afternoon, I was writing out some notes for this message, for this point of this message. When I wrote the lines, their sacrifice reflected their focus. It hit me like a ton of bricks. You're going to sacrifice for what your focus is. Think about it. Let that sink in just for a minute tonight. You're going to sacrifice for what your focus is. How did you get all these people? I mean, we know there are at least 3,000. A big ultra. How did you get 3,000 people to be unified and willing to sacrifice? They all had the same focus. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Do you know why we're not willing to sacrifice? Because our focus is wrong. Their focus was not on themselves, the Bible says. They sold their possessions, personal pronoun. Why? Because they wanted to keep the main thing, the main thing. Colossians 3, 2, the Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection, your love, your heart on things above. Now watch, if our, our focus or our affection is where it needs to be, you're willing to not focus on things below. But you know, as I've told you many times before, you can only focus on one thing at a time. Whatever you're focusing on, if you're focusing on things above, it's going to cost you things below. If you're focusing on things below, it's going to cost you things above. There's going to be a lot of people, I believe, stand before God, and they're not going to have anything to lay at the feet of Christ. Yes, they're saved, but as by fire. Why? Because their focus was here. And you're going to sacrifice one for the other. And you're going to be able to tell what your focus is by what you sacrifice. Look, when you look at your calendar, you're making out your calendar. The other day, we met uh, with the staff guys, and we sat down, we tried to, Lord willing, map out 2021 if the Lord tarries. I don't think he is, but if he tarries, we try to map out 2021 on what the Lord have us to do and things we're going to be a part of and try to start here at our church. As we mapped out our schedule, you know, I'm thinking, man, that's deer season. Well, now, you know, we can load the schedule down in the spring, turkey season, not so much, you know, and we can load it down in the summer, but man, wait a minute now, we're getting toward around November, December, that's kind of get the rut. Deer's going to be moving, it's been a while since I killed one, but you know, I had to decide which one I'm going to sacrifice for the other, and is that not the greatest decision we make on a daily basis in the Christian life? What are we going to sacrifice for what? What are we going to sacrifice for what? The Bible says that they continued in doctrine, in prayer, and in the temple, and we see their focus by what they were willing to sacrifice for. Henry Ford said this, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once that scatters the effort and destroys the direction. It makes for haste, and haste makes waste. You know why the church is not effective today? 
Just being honest with you. We're, we're not effective. I say we. We're all in this together, all right? The church is not effective today because our focus. Listen, if our focus is what it needs to be, you're going to see it in the fruit of our effectiveness. It's going to be there. If we set our affection on things above, and that's what we're working toward, yes, it's going to cost us from the creature comforts of life, but I assure you, what we're gaining will be eternal. That means it's going to last a long, long time. A, a missionary from the Philippines came to our church years ago. I remember the R.C. was his name. And he sang a song called Forever is a Long, Long Time. So, well, that's an understatement, isn't it? It's a long, long time. And I assure you, when we stand before God, oh, how you'd love to have something to lay at the feet of Jesus for all eternity, but it's going to cost you something down here. And tonight, I believe the ineffectiveness of the church today is just a reflection of the fact that our focus is not right. Let me ask you this. Why did Peter sink? He lost his focus. Why did, why did David sin? He lost his focus. What was the end of Adam and Eve? He lost his focus. The last session of marriage counseling the other day with these two young people, I, I let them have t question time, which is always a crazy time. You're thinking, what are they going to ask you? Miss Leslie, what is his biggest fault? And uh, we didn't have that much time. It was only an hour session, so she didn't have time to share all of them. But I think it was Miss Kristen asked. She says, you know, how do you keep that, that love, that relationship? You know, listen, we all know when you're seeing each other, you're loopy. And you're saying those goofy things that you know you said. My daughter watched our wedding video the other day. Oh, I heard my, I sang to my wife at our wedding. And I could hear myself in there. And she's watching, I said, close the door. Close the door. It was horrible. It's like Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog down the bottom of a garbage can is what it sounded like. It was bad. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I was just drippy and, you know, all this. You lay in your coat in the mud and all this stuff. And, and then what happens? What happens? We drift apart. We don't have that first love like we should. Ms. Kristen asks, how do you keep that? How do you keep that? She says, I want to keep that. That's what I'll tell you what I found. A lot of times when young people and not so young people are seeing each other, you focus on only the good things. Boy, did you see their smile. Oh, but did you see how they walked across the room? I mean, goofy stuff like that. You know, did you see the way that they scratched their nose? I mean, it's just so cute. You know, it's like, oh, God, I didn't ever do that. Dad. I hope not. But then we go on a few years, and we start noticing the less flattering things. You believe she wants me to take the garbage out, you know? And she don't want to eat at wards. She thinks it's bad for you. And I told Miss Kristen, I said, you know what I found? That usually when my relationship with her is not what it ought to be, it's because I'm focusing on the wrong things. Instead of focusing on what I fell in love with, I start focusing on the fact that she is human every once in a while. And I'll tell you something tonight. As a child of God, if we just get our focus where it belongs, he'd be willing to sacrifice, and then we'd have unity. They were willing to sacrifice of what they had to keep the unity of what God desired to do. And this church advanced in the midst of adversity. And tonight, I believe Central Baptist Church, I know it's the will of God we advance in the midst of adversity, but I believe the only hope for us is, number one, that we keep our unity. Keep our unity. In order to keep it, you may have to sacrifice something. You may have to give something. So how do I, well, how do I give of myself? Well, your focus. Oh, when you see what you're working toward, it's worth whatever it requires of us to keep what God's doing in this wonderful place.